The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Ravens, exercise some demons in Jacksonville and clinch a playoff berth this week on Pod Like a Raven. So, before we get into the specific game, the playoff scenarios, other teams, a What's Bothering Tim exclusive, let's take a pause here. The Baltimore Ravens have clinched a playoff spot. They've done it with three games yet to play in the regular season. And we need to acknowledge this as we get going here. I am Antonio Barbera. I'm going to jump in, bring in my co-hosts here. Because there are some things to talk about in that Jags game that, you know, less than desirable things happened uh, all over the field, even with a win. But first things first, the Baltimore Ravens. A healthy Lamar Jackson, the number one seed at the moment. A playoff spot secured. How are we feeling? Tim, let's start with you, Tim Horsey. I'll take I, it. I'll take it at this point. Yeah, I am feeling good. I'm feeling good. Uh, I think that I was telling you guys off the air here, probably for the first time this season, and this happened to a lot to me over the previous years of doing this podcast, of real heated in the moment, you know, win, lose, or draw, what have you, and then kind of the 24 hours would be a nice way to settle it and look a little more reasonably at what happened or just calm down, frankly. And this time I'm feeling over, I'm not going to say overwhelmingly, that that might be pushing it too far, but I'm feeling pretty positive. I think the playoff berth, um, Lamar kind of dazzling again um, in a primetime spot, obviously then listening to all your your podcasts and radio shows throughout the throughout the workday that are talking all about how the grid the Ravens are. So that probably helps a little bit, even though some of them like you guys haven't watched this run defense in three weeks, but it's something we'll get to a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. It's, it's cool to know that before this gauntlet that we have coming up, you know, two of the, uh, actually all three games going to be tough, um, that we're already in, we're already in the dance and that, and we're going to get, some January football, uh, hopefully in Baltimore, but at least featuring Baltimore. And, um, yeah, I'm excited about it. Jace Evans. I, I forget this team went to the playoffs last year because it, it just kind of felt like they just got to play an extra game. Um, but the vibe at the end of that whole season was uh, not positive. And then coupled with the year before that also not being not being great. It is nice, at least, as Tim mentioned, with weeks to go, the Ravens back where they belong. Uh, in a top contending place uh, with a playoff spot secured with, with weeks to go here. Yeah, like what you said, I, I, it has got me thinking about a little bit about the last few seasons and how it, despite like all our complaints and uh, certainly my complaints, I should say, and just general angst about the state of the team seemingly week in and week out, it has been a lot more fun this year than the last two years. Uh, 2021, 2022... Not fun seasons. This kind of feels like we kind of just, the extension of the run that started in 2019, really 2018 with Lamar coming in the second half. You you go to the playoffs 2018, 19, 20, have just two miserable seasons where we don't see Lamar on the field 
at this time of year, which is just another positive. Uh, and so to see him out there on Sunday playing a great game, I'm still terrified every time he kind of takes half a second to get up and like after after scrambling or whatever when he attempts one of his very terrible slides and it looks horrible. Uh, I'm very nervous every time, but to have Lamar out on the field, it, it's just been uh, at this time of year, it's delight. I still remain nervous, but yeah, it's hopefully, you know, you don't want to look too far ahead because there's still a lot to, to finish and be determined and statements can be made or to be made one way or the other, uh, certainly with this game coming up. But yeah, to just already know that you will be playing in January. That's a great feeling. That's what you play for. So it's it's step one of many steps. Uh, it'd be nice to get a division title for the first time since 2019. So that's kind of the next step. But yeah, so first thing off the checklist, it's always a good feeling. And with the ability to control their own destiny for the number one seed here is, is a nice thing as well. Let's talk Ravens Jags here. Raven, the, the score looks great. Uh, the final score is Ravens 23, Jaguars 7. At least from my point of view, this was a game that for moments felt close. I would say the first quarter felt close, but then there were significantly longer stretches of this game where it didn't really feel close. It didn't really feel like an even matchup. But most importantly, maybe before we get into X's and O's here, the Ravens just letting the Jaguars beat themselves and making just enough plays down the stretch. Uh, the Ravens have been on the other side of that several times, uh, less so in this this season, which is great, but um, just a clinic in a road team doing the right things here and there, making a couple of big plays, and then just kind of sitting back and saying, go ahead, Jacksonville. UBU, uh, which they have done several times this season. So the Ravens able to take a, a, a significant win here, but really is it more, more due to, to Jacksonville just making mistake after mistake? That's kind of how I feel, Antonio. I think we left this game personally, like as good as it was, like, you know, I agree with you. I, I, I didn't feel stressed until the very, very end of the game because I'm an idiot and the Ravens are up 16. <laughs> and uh, that's what I'm most nervous of uh, the entire game, that final Jacksonville drive. I felt pretty good for the most part. I think once the Ravens got up 10, the 17 to 7 uh, drive, I felt pretty comfortable they were going to win the game. Uh, again, until the very end when my subconscious took over. <laughs> but uh, on the whole, I, th I thought the Ravens played well. So, But as good as it was to watch them play well in prime time, uh, yeah, I think this game says more about the Jags. And I think specifically Trevor Lawrence, who had just some baffling turnovers uh, uh, that cost them points. The first one especially was just so brutal. And I think, yeah, it's part of why this game... Like, why the Ravens are up 10 nothing at halftime? Because they should have been. Because the Jags had more yards in the first half of any team this season that ended the first half with zero points. They were the, they had nearly 200 yards of offense in the first half, uh, but zero points to show for it because they kept shooting themselves in the foot and Brandon McManus kept missing field goals and they had just brutal turnovers and bad decision-making. So they're in trouble. They've lost three straight now and have, you know, the Colts and the Jags breathing down their necks. So I know like a lot of attention is paid on the Ravens from, I think a lot of the national people, but yeah, I think on the whole, this game just kind of said more about the Jags and going in the wrong direction uh, for a team that I think a lot of people sort of thought was going to take the next step. Yeah. I mean, look, you got to take advantage when teams make mistakes like this um, and you have to play a clean game. Look, <clears throat> the Lamarville, the marvelous play that everybody is talking about could have easily been an interception. Uh, the, and we've seen that be an interception plenty of times before. 
It wasn't. The ball rolled our way, and the Jaguars, man, just uh, that's that's a you're you're shooting off eight of your ten toes in that game. Like it was absolutely ridiculous. But look, you got to take advantage. It's funny talking about the the comfortability of it all, and I'm looking back and I'm I'm thinking in my head. I was pretty comfortable most of the game, like less than 24 hours from it as we record this. And then I look and I'm like, oh, yeah, this was like a 10-7 game in the middle of the third quarter. And I think I was very worried at halftime, as any Ravens fan was, because it was like, we should be up by 24 points or the Jags could easily be winning this game without some stupid mistakes. And then once the Ravens went up two scores, that that, uh, five-play, 58-yard touchdown drive – to make it 17-7, that's kind of when I, once it stayed two scores, I was kind of like, all right, now we're fine. And from that point on, I was kind of relaxed the entire time, which I thought was was unlike me, certainly. <laughs> um, but just the way that Lamar Jackson was playing, which I know we're, we're about to get to, the way the defense kind of tightened up a little bit, and, and like Jace mentioned, most importantly, the way the Jaguars just kept screwing up. Um, was kind of the reason that I was like, ah, yeah, we're fine here. Everything's fine. Yeah, there's three different types of Raven games. I feel like maybe is why this was so relaxing is normally, well, not normally, sometimes they're the team making all the mistakes and it's infuriating. Or there's the game with both teams not making mistakes and just kind of exchanging blows. And then there's the third version where the other team somehow is making all the mistakes. And when we get that game kind of feels like the Ravens can't lose because they're already going to be competitive against a good team normally. And so if they're getting all these whew, uh, just bonus bonehead mistakes by the Jags, it feels like they're just going to be able to comfortably win. And they ended up doing so. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Um, in prime time, you know, again, I would say puts on a, a show. Uh, you know, we'll see how the reviews of that show end up coming out. Um Maybe the greatest 170 passing yard, one touchdown, one interception game I've ever seen from a quarterback. Just some good old hyperbole there right off the top. But it was just over and over and over again, him having to dance around in the pocket, make up for terrible tackle play, and then maybe get five yards, maybe get three, maybe get a first down. But he just did it over and over and over again. Collinsworth was losing his mind. And then you look and it was, oh, it was 170 yards through the air. He did add 100 on the ground. He left several Jaguar defenders uh, on the turf. I think they're still there shaking their head and snapping their fingers and saying how and why. Overall, looking at it, it's odd because the offense obviously had some issues. It wasn't a well-oiled machine. He only ends up with 170 passing yards. But it also feels like who is, wow. Who is going to take this guy down in a big game? When it gets to a playoff game, if he's on like this, he's almost unstoppable. It makes every third down convertible. Um, so I, I I don't know what to think, right? It wasn't clean. It wasn't perfect. But you run for 100 yards easily. Could have had 150 if you tried a few other times. It, it was like a... I don't want to say he was in third gear the whole time, but it was kind of like he's in third gear. He wasn't making every play. He was just every down stepping back and going, oh, okay, I got to navigate the mess that my offensive line has made, uh, get outside and then see what happens from there. So he's making plays, hits the right time for it, wins another December football game on the road. Uh, but, but I'm curious as to your guys' 
thoughts on his performance with it really not being the the biggest stat stuffing game um interception aside I think it was a really, really good performance. The interception is a classic Lamar Jackson, like, what the hell are you doing pick. It was just uh, egregious on all levels. But you talking there, and I kind of had the thought yesterday when I was watching the game, or on Monday, uh, Sunday, geez, uh, time's a flat circle around the holidays especially, um, on, on Sunday Night Football, that especially this iteration of Lamar Jackson growing into what he is in this offense with the weapons, the scheme, and then the lack of offensive line play. I think we almost have to train our brain to figure out a different way of playing quarterback where it's not like, you know, for, for the Greg Roman stuff, it was a lot of like, all right, I know it's the read option coming. I know like, I know how this looks and I can judge how this quarterback pay looks Compared to like a Patrick Mahomes, where it can look completely different, or you know, even even like a not to compare their talent, but like a Kirk Cousins, like a real pocket passer type quarterback, and I can look at those two performances, knowing they're wildly different, and be able to compare and contrast them. I think this Lamar Jackson in this specific moment, offensive line being really really bad, um, constantly having to escape pressure all night, but pure like really wanting to be a passer and waiting and waiting and waiting for those moments to open up because guess like as much as we've complained about it he knew he had the time he knew at any moment almost any moment in this game he could get away from somebody is will that mentality translate uh in this upcoming christmas game probably not but that's something that we'll get to later i just think i think we have to train our eyes and train our brain to what this is and the entire night, I'm screaming, get rid of the ball. Throw the football. Get rid of the ball. Get rid of the ball. And I think what I need to learn is that's not going to happen because, one, they're they're not going like five wide or they're not going full spread because they can't protect with five linemen. And they simply could not with Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses last night. They were uh, Sunday night, excuse me. We're recording on Monday, guys. You get it. Um, we're horrendous. So they had to keep Patrick Ricard in there. They kept Justice Hill in a lot. Because Justice Hill is a pass protector, um, you know, or can do that, I should say, more than like a Keaton Mitchell, who obviously the unfortunate injury there. But he kind of there's stuff that he wants to do, but then he can't really do it to the full extent. And then it's just a different way of playing, where he's gonna be the schoolyard guy. He's gonna be like the I'm the best at this when everything breaks down, and us as fans, Jason and I especially, are gonna freak out during that because we are. Tiny little pea brains can't handle the fact that this guy's just not getting rid of the football, and it's making us very, very nervous. I know I can speak for you on that one, Jace. And I think we just kind of have to realize this is what it is. And I wouldn't say it was the best form of it by any you know stretch of the imagination on Sunday, but it's real. It's it's a lot closer to the best form than we think. Where you know Jace made a great point off air of. Do passing yards even matter? And this is a performance where I don't think they do. 171 yards, 97 yards on the ground, but terrifying as all hell to everybody wearing that terrible shade of green last night. <laughs> like, any time the guy has the ball in his hands. I mean, Chris Collinsworth made the point, and I think he was right. When they hand the ball off, you're, you're like, relieved, even if it is an eight-yard run from Gus Edwards up the middle, because Lamar Jackson doesn't have the ball in his hands. And... I'm I'm it's so weird how positive I am with 
with how much I hate it in the moment. Because it's like, oh my god, get rid of it. Oh my god. Oh, Jesus. Oh, he's running around. No, he's going backwards. What are you doing? No, stop. Get up the field. Go. And you're having all that reaction in the moment. But sitting back and looking at it again, that's how he's going to play. And this is how effective it can be. Like, the numbers don't necessarily tell it. He is a quarterback that's going to be on Instagram reels and TikToks for his highlight plays. And it's not it's not a thing about, oh, there's not really substance there. It's all flash. That's not what it is because it's consistently like that with him. And, you know, not to say I don't appreciate it, but maybe we just appreciate it more. And again, to wrap up this incredibly long winding point, I think we need to train ourselves to think about how he plays and, and process how he plays differently, um, especially in this iteration of what he is and what this team is right now. I was talking about that exact point, Tim, with uh, some some of my high school friends and, and uh, who who aren't necessarily you know Ravens fans, uh, but just you know watch watch the Sunday night games, watch the Monday night games, national games, watch the Ravens win. Washington's not playing that kind of thing, and they have to watch Sam Howell. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so my friend TJ he remarked how incredible you know like basically what you just outlined Lamar's kind of ability to improvise and scramble and keep his eyes downfield and make plays. And I said to exactly what you just said, I said to him, it's funny because when this is happening during a game, all I'm doing is yelling, throw it away or run uh, about 10 times a game. And sometimes he still does need to throw it away. Like, you know, he, he, he does hold on to the ball too long (laughs) in certain instances, for sure. He's going to, get himself in big trouble attempting one of these uh, let me do a last second throw away when I'm getting sacked that's going to end up being a fumble in a crucial moment. Uh, He needs to cut that stuff out. But yeah, I completely agree with you. Like at a certain point, like it's just, I think like we're just seeing like his kind of almost supernatural ability uh, in in these big games. I mean, I guess we could kind of just talk about it, but kind of the play of the game is sort of, I think encapsulates all this is, uh, when he should have been sacked immediately, he spins away, uh, and throws up what seemed like a prayer, uh, a very ill-advised pass to Isaiah likely, uh, who comes down with it. And that was one where I was like, he's already thrown just that awful, awful pick, uh, you know, a few drives before where he's throwing a cross body rather than either throwing it to Isaiah likely for a gain of 15 or just running the ball for a gain of 10. He decided to throw cross body to Nelson Aguilar. And of course it's easily picked off. So then he serves this one up and I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> what are we doing here? We're up, we're up three, you know, they already have that broken play touchdown. It's a three point game. And, and then, but then likely catches it. And you're like, like you said, Tim, these kind of plays, it feels like they happen more often than not. And you're like, at that point, it's like, well, this is just what he does. Like, and if it keeps working out, like maybe it's not a horrible decision. If it's like, I'm just that good, I can make this play happen <laughs> kind of thing. And now there's certainly some luck involved in that. But yeah, I think that play kind of just distilled it down because that's sort of like the play that won them the game. Like I, I thought Lamar was just awesome. <laughs> for large stretches Sunday, like his first touchdown or his touchdown pass to Isaiah likely, I thought was just a dime. That was a dart. And even like the very first like play of the game, he like, he's like scramble, like just wildly scrambles left and then is like backpedaling and then just dumps it to likely for like a 15 yard gain. He was just, it felt like he was in total control. And I think the Ravens ask him to do a lot. And I think that's only going to increase with Keaton Mitchell now injured. Um, 
certainly as it pertains to the running game. I think Lamar has been running just more in general as we've gotten down the stretch here, which I, you know, I kind of like to see cause he's still so special at it, but he's, I, yeah, I mean, he's just a special talent and I completely agree with you. Like he hangs onto the ball too long. The pick was awful. He'll make some just baffling decisions. Some of his baffling decisions will be brilliant plays, but he's also just really good. I don't know. It just, yeah, to sum it up, kind of what you said, this is who he is, uh, at, at least at this stage of his career. And it's been awesome to see, and I hope we can see it in the playoffs, and I hope it translates into playoff wins, because that would certainly be nice. It does seem like in the middle of seasons, he he runs significantly less. He kind of decides that he wants to stay in the pocket, and I, I think preserve the body as long as possible. Then when it, once it gets to... December. I mean, I can't say that he's done this in the last two seasons, but once it gets to December, then he's kind of more open to running more, and and you have the bigger yardage games on the ground. Uh, I I do think I agree, Chase. I think that version of him is still the best that he can be. Is when he's running ten, you know, ten to fifteen times per game, and not being so con, uh, not stubborn, but intentional about wanting to stay in the pocket over and over again because there's just so many plays that are there when he runs and it would be easier if he just slid or went out of bounds more often <laughs> yeah. and then he could do both of these things he against sliding uh, he will never slide in his entire career it's great um but the interception is the the example of that he just has an acres of space with a tight end as a lead blocker if he feels like jogging down the sidelines for 15 yards and instead he still is looking and looking and wanting wanting to complete the, you know, the five-yard pass. <laughs> the deep throw to likely, looking at the highlight from behind the offense, I felt a little bit better about the throw, but when you're watching it on the regular game <laughs> camera, you literally just see the ball fluttering directly at a Jag defender without any Raven in the area. That's what made it look real concerning to me, but then when you see it from behind, it's like, oh, no, he has an open receiver. He has an open tight end running in that direction. He was just able to time it a bit fortunately and have it drop in uh just just in time there um boy on the whole though it's it's exciting and i just i love having games with him starting and finishing the game in december on the road against a tough opponent and just making plays and, and making defenders look look foolish other raven offensive players i want to talk about is let's start with isaiah likely i mean we've mentioned his name a few times and that ca- he he was a big part of that catch happening by the way it didn't just fall into his lap uh he went up and mossed two jag defenders catches the touchdown he's doing exactly what we needed exactly what we talked about with andrews going down providing that tight end one uh being able to stretch the field break tackles he's done i would say exceeded expectations uh, to this point um, and long may that continue. Rashad Bateman made a few plays, flashed a little bit here and there. Um, I, I'd love to be uh, just absolutely burned by the end of the season on my opinions of how he has played. I would, uh, I would wear that like a badge of honor if he ends up having a, a great final stretch here. Beckham a little bit quieter. He actually dropped, I think, I'm not sure if they counted it as a drop, but uh, on an awesome throw by, by Jackson. Looked like he should have been able to, to bring it in on the sideline. And then the Mitchell injury. So I, I want to talk about the, the moving forward from it. It was an ugly injury. Um, it's perfect that 
it was on, what, a 13-yard gain? Uh, of course, the injury happens when he has yet another play of more than 10 yards. Um, he will be out for the rest of the season, and we'd go back to the Gus Bus Justice Hill experience. Is this enough, guys? I mean, let's talk big. I think it's time to have big-picture conversations here. They're the one seed in mid-December going to the playoffs. The goal is Super Bowl for this team. Is this group of running backs enough, uh, or are we now just one, you know, an, a yet another playmaker removed where, where it's really going to end up looking looking bad in January? I mean, if you're going fully healthy, um, explosive Ravens players or, like, important Ravens offensive pieces, alignment uh, uh, aside, like, let's just take out, let's just say weapons. You know, top of the head, I'm going Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Zay, Keaton Mitchell. Like, you know, I don't think there is really – from what he was providing, the the juice that you talked about, Antonio, and then also the ability to do everything. Like, the pass protection stuff is a little different. They don't trust rookies to pass protect. No team does, and he's a little bit smaller, so maybe he can't do that as well. But he wasn't just a gadget guy. He wasn't just a guy out on the edge. He was breaking tackles in the middle of the field and, and, and you know, playing like a quote-unquote normal running back but also just has all of the juice in the world. I, I think they have enough. I think that they're going to need to change some things. I think, I think Harbaugh has to have a serious conversation with Justice Hill that said, like, your career will end. We will cut you the minute you fumble the football because he had – there's a reason that man hasn't been getting carries, and it's because he kept fumbling the ball. Um, and that is massively concerning. You know, Jace has a note in here that I don't disagree with that, you know, he's going to fumble in January in the playoffs at some point, which I, you know, I would put money on it. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, but I do think they have enough. You just kind of have to change things a little bit, whether it's using a little bit more Zay gadget stuff, like really, really hammering that stuff, whether it is a little bit more designed runs for Lamar Jackson, you know, once we get into playoff time, once we get into winning time, whether it is a lot more from Isaiah Likely, who, by the way, as soon as that dude got picked by the Ravens, what was it, was it last year when he was a rookie? Everybody went, oh, are you serious? They got this guy, absolute freak out of Coastal Carolina, and already looking like another great pick um and just the definition of you don't draft for need you draft best available you know for the most part um i do think they have enough that being said he was a weapon that in slog type games in games where we're only averaging three four yards a carry we're all going to be hitting in the, the pod like a raven text group soon to be released on patreon that <laughs> it's like man we could use a Keaton Mitchell 18 yard gain right here. Um, they, they've got to change things. Like he was that, he was getting to the point where he was that important in limited time that they need to, they need to find a way around it. Um, and I, I, I don't know what that is. I don't get paid for that, but yeah, I, I think they have enough, but it is definitely a concerning big miss that we will feel uh, over the next couple of weeks here for sure. I agree with you, Tim, uh, because I, I do th like it's going to hurt no matter what. Like uh, the, that explosive element, I think, in the run game, you're now just relying on Lamar Jackson. And but the good news is you do have Lamar Jackson. He can still right. be explosive. But I do think from your backs, it's going to be just a lot more of a grind. And 
I think the idea that really seared that thought into my head was Zurebeck tweeting out this short uh, horror story last night, which was Melvin Gordon will be added to the 53-man roster. Yeah. Remember him? So that's like three carries a game of just nothing you're going to get, three or four wasted plays. So that's where, you know, having Keith Mitchell in a Melvin Gordon stead was felt good. And I, I, it sucks for him. It sucks. He's an undrafted guy. He hasn't really gotten paid. And now he's... He, we don't know the severity of the injury. They haven't said, but it was a very bad hyperextension, clearly, uh, and they called it significant. So who knows if we'll even see him next year, at least early, um, with it now being December. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll, like, not having Keaton Mitchell, I don't think it's, like, the reason why. Like, if this team, like, I don't think not having Mitchell is going to be why the Ravens don't win the Super Bowl. Right, but it would have helped. I think their chances of winning the Super Bowl if he was there. So uh, that's where it, it sucks. But I do think, like, I think they'll have to ride the bus more than they have. But they've generally been a pretty good running game this year on the whole. I believe they still actually have the best rushing offense, like by yards per game in the NFL. But and I think they'll be good as long as Lamar's there because uh, of the element he adds. But yeah, it's just gonna be it's gonna be more of a grind, which. You know, we can always yeah, – we saw in this game, we see it, saw it against the Chargers. For a team that gets stuck in the mud, just losing another guy occasionally, losing another guy who can, like, bring instant kind of explosiveness and impact, it's not great. I mean, he averaged eight yards a carry, which is, like, insanity. I mean, that's, like, literally never, no one does that. And it's a very small sample size, but, yeah. I mean, he had 396 yards on 47 attempts, 8.4 yards a carry. Like, what? That's insane. So, for that, from that impact, that's gonna that's gonna stink too. That he's not there because yeah, he he could pop one, and he had some huge runs, especially in the like the second half of this game when they kind of pulled away. They leaned on the running game a little bit, and uh, yeah, I was heartbroken on that play. I didn't even notice the injury in the moment. I was like, ah. I was, I was like, damn, if he didn't get tripped up, he'd be gone. And then I look back at the TV and he's oh, no. lying there. And I'm like, oh, he's done for the season. So Yeah, his his knee went full Willis McGahee. Yeah, uh, I looked it up uh, against my better judgment. You're and yeah. gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was curious, Tim. Uh, and yeah, it was bad. It's real bad. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, you don't have to. Don't have to watch it. Don't but, don't do it to yourself. Yeah, yeah. It I'll, sucks. I'll just, I'll just say this quickly before we turn to defense because I know we need to. Um, two two other quick things I wanted to point out. One, Kurt Warner kind of nailed it on X or Twitter that I thought was interesting. You know, I don't I don't think Kurt's an amazing guy, but clearly amazing color guy, I should say. I'm sure he's a fine person, but um, should say that I think this was interesting. Ravens offense is a fascinating watch. Sometimes it looks smooth and impressive, but other times spacing is not so good, or Lamar doesn't uh, read quite quick enough. But because of it is Lamar. Uh, it still can be impressive with him simply making a play. Hard to know how to judge it, but I love watching. Completely agree there. And another Lamar Jackson thing that I just kind of scrubbing back through highlights and stuff, I wanted to mention because we didn't, uh, with all the flash, we didn't mention probably my favorite play of the night. Third and long, there's a blitzer, number two for the Jaguars. I can't remember who it is. Coming right down the barrel, unblocked. Lamar just eats eats the shot. Throws the ball over the middle, over Josh Allen, the linebacker, to Odell Beckham Jr. for a huge third down conversion. It's 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 probably his best throw of the night, with given the circumstance, given what was coming. And to be able to just take that shot and 
deliver that strike was it was one of those things of like look I I did the whole rant about having to perceive his play differently than like a traditional quarterback but he's still a traditional quarterback in some of the stuff that he can do um so yeah like one of my favorite uh Collinsworth gasms of the night was that throw and 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 old double c having a having a good time talking about it <laughs> looking at the defense a mixed bag i would say on this side of the ball some some bend but don't break uh a lot of bend but don't break. get bent absolutely to the limit without breaking uh they gave up what should have been four straight scoring drives in the first <laughs> half and instead got uh two jaguar missed field goals uh a lawrence fumble running by himself and the end of half uh debacle not being able to either choose to stop the clock or then get out of bounds. Could have been, should have been 16-10 Jags at half, and instead it was 10-0 Ravens. Then in the second half, they give up uh, uh, the big play to, to Agnew, the blown coverage. We have talked about on this show that the defense has specific, or I have said this, that the defense has specifically been good at avoiding the busted coverage most of the season. Bit them, Bit them there, but after that, the defense ends up going three and out, three and out, three and out with another Lawrence fumble, and then a turnover on downs to end the, end the game. You end up giving up seven points on the road uh, against a division leader, and you close the game in that fashion. I, I think you have to ta- you, you you take that performance even with uh, some issues some issues here and there that that my co-hosts are absolutely going to cover. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was encouraging. I think to see to see the lockdown. Um, and one guy, I mean, we shout him out every week, but uh, Justin Matabike, basically uh, the guy who ended two of those drives directly. Uh, one, a probably near sack, ends up being ruled a grounding on Lawrence that forces that first punt that you talked about, Antonio. Then he makes the sack on the fumble. Uh, he's going to get paid an insane amount of money, and I truly don't know if the Ravens could bring him back. He's been so good. He's, what, 12? Is he up to over 12 sacks now? It's it's yeah. crazy. He set a record for 11 straight games with at least a half a sack, which is like a, it's just, just a, a phenomenal number. PFF right now. They have their 2024 NFL free agency rankings already started for the guys who uh, obviously are out of contract. He currently ranks sixth overall in the entire league. Um, the contract projection for him being four years, $92 million, $23 million per year, uh, $60 million total guaranteed. And I would pay all of that to have him on this team. He's hitting a Not point. Not me, Steve Bashotti, but like <laughs> yeah. I would, I would have them pay that. For, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do my part by buying a jersey too. I would. <laughs> the minute, the minute the ink is dry, uh, I'm buying the, the the black '92. Yeah. Uh, but he was awesome. Another guy who we on this program or me at least said probably wouldn't play. Who was great? Kyle Hamilton. He actually plays this game and it like makes an immediate impact. He is just all over the field. He makes so many plays. Uh, he was fantastic. Um, yeah, I, feel, I mean, I feel like I shout out the same, like, three guys every week. But it was encouraging to see. I don't have too much more to add, personally, on the defense, other than uh, it's very sadly ironic that uh, Marcus Williams uh, was the guy who made the tackle inbounds at the end of the half uh, to keep the play inbounds and the clock run out on the Jags. And then he misses the entire second half uh, with an injury in this game. And... Uh, it just sucks. It just feels like that kind of has defined his entire Ravens tenure to this point where it's like, 
you know, I feel like I got on him for not tackling, and then he makes a sensational tackle, and he leaves with probably re-aggravating whatever injury he's been fighting through, I assume, or uh, something like that. So that was kind of uh, bad. But then, you know, without him, I thought, you know, everyone stepped up in the second half. So uh, especially getting after Lawrence the way they did, because I felt like, they, to me, they didn't put too much pressure on him in the first half. Like you said, they could have had four straight scoring drives, but... Uh, the Jags shot themselves in the foot, and then when it was winning time, the Ravens made all the plays in the second half, especially on third downs, getting kind of closing on him. So, yeah, I don't know. I um, I, I still think uh, a lot of the, as we said, a lot of it was Jags issues uh, in the first half, certainly. Uh, I made it a different game, but but I thought on the whole, I thought the Ravens defense played pretty well in this game. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the Jaguars' mistakes, and it, even outside of the inexcusable stuff, you know, the two-minute – the the two minute drill at the end of the half, the fumble is, as Jace mentioned, you know, just the missed throws from Trevor Lawrence too. like just a lot of not to, not to sound like one of those guys who watches the all 22. Cause I certainly do not, but not a lot of good tape out there for Trevor Lawrence in that game against the Ravens. It's so weird. I pulled up the, the box score here thinking, all right, these stats are going to back up this point I'm about to make. And they don't, um, <laughs> the run defense, and maybe it's just one of those things, and we've done this debate for years on this show of, like, the league is different now, so I can't expect every run run against the Ravens defender to go for .2 yards, and that's it, and that's how we stop the run constantly all the time, and the league is different, what have you. I, I thought it looked soft again, and I thought it looked soft for a third straight week. They obviously cleaned things up towards the end of the game. The fact that Travis Etienne Jr. only had 10 carries in this game um, that astounded me again when I flipped tabs over here. I, I that's remarkable. I thought he would have had a couple more touches. You take out the 41 yards from Trevor Lawrence, and it's 16 carries for 34 yards on the ground. So I can't really sit here and say anything, but it just seemed like, especially in the beginning, and especially with the teams coming up, Christian McCaffrey and Raheem Mostert are the next two running backs you have to face, and maybe Devon Achan. Um, if, he, if he's healthy, I don't know what his, the rookie's deal is, the guy out of um, Texas A&M that plays for the Dolphins. That con- It just concerns me, just how it looks. It, it didn't look very good, but then, you know, Jace is right. They did, they did ramp things up in the second half. Obviously, the numbers are there. They av- It was 4.4 yards per carry for Jacksonville, and that's, you know, Trevor Lawrence averaging 10 because he had four carries for 41 yards. So I want to sit here and say it really, really needs to get cleaned up. But, I mean, that kind of speaks for itself when, when they – one, Jacksonville seemed to abandon it way too quickly, something that I always have an issue with. And two, number, numbers can lie, but those don't lie when it comes to <laughs> what the run defense was doing. Um, and, and, yeah, just to reiterate, pay Justin Matabike whatever he wants. Pay him, pay him whatever he wants. He's the next guy in line that has to get paid. And behind him, guys that have to get paid, Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum, maybe Zay. You know, we'll see. But, like, he, come on. Come on. These are the guys you keep in-house. I know it's hard. I know. I know. I know. But do whatever you can to keep that guy. The, o- the only way I will not be upset if Justin Matabike leaves is if somebody goes full New York Jets <laughs> and gives a middle linebacker like C.J. Mosley like $85 million or whatever that contract was when they actually did it. Then I'll be like, look, you couldn't have matched that, whatever, it's fine. Um, but do anything else within, within even outside of reason to, to try and keep him on the team here. When the Ravens... Uh 
release Ronnie Stanley, they'll be able to move some <laughs> some money around and see if they can make that contract happen. Yeah, the, the run stuff, Tim. I kind of I want to kind of disagree with you and say, yeah, the run defense is fine. But I, I end up t- having the exact same cycle of thoughts. I thought it did look soft. And then you look at the numbers and you say, oh, they kind of did fine over an entire football right. game. Three right. of those Lawrence runs, I'm pretty sure, were on that last drive when the game was over. And they were just kind of playing soft. And he had three runs in a row of, I think he averaged 10 yards on each of those three runs. So you, you, you take that away and it's kind of excellent. Oh, oh, it was an excellent run-stopping performance. But maybe just the way that the, the game went with... With Jacksonville being behind, you know, all of ten to seven, so they had to yeah, <laughs> abandon abandon the run after that. Um, intangible. Some last few things to cover here. The pooch kick. I think it was intentional. The pooch kick at the end of the first half is yet another special teams mistake. I think they were trying to just like get five seconds off the clock. The Jags had no timeouts. There was I think a minute five left at that point, and they were. I think the process thought process is let's make them return it. Maybe they'll get an extra five or six yards, but at least we'll have taken off, you know, seven to eight seconds of this clock. No, they give up a 40-yard return <laughs> to a dangerous returner coming off of injury. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Um, and then the last thing that I want to go over, and I'm just going to use it to pivot to one of my co-hosts here, Terry McCauley losing his mind uh, at a very not- quote-unquote, clear and obvious uh, challenge overturn decision late in the fourth quarter was hilarious. Uh, So I'll turn now uh, with a a special segment that we like to call What's Bothering Jace? Featuring Tim. Uh, What's Bothering Tim? Is Terry McCauley auditioning to be, like, the new Skip? Like, I, I, (laughs) I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. So first of all, this play, if you don't know it, yeah, sure, it might be a little bit questionable, right? And then it's the end zone, uh, the catch for Calvin Ridley. They call incomplete. Called on the field. And it's one of those bang-bang plays for me that at the very, at the worst-case scenario for the Ravens is, okay, this, you know, it's whatever they rule it on the field because they're not enough conclusive evidence to overturn it. If they ruled it a touchdown, it would have been a touchdown. They didn't. It's not going to be a touchdown. And then you look on the reverse angles of things where Calvin Ridley's ass is on the white while he's trying to make this this catch. And Macaulay, they, they keep opening his mic up to talk and say the same thing over and over again. It was like 10 minutes later in the game, three drives, four punts, what have you, and, and they're still going back to Terry. I'm not even as mad at Terry Macaulay. Like, it's almost better that he was kind of not just Gene Steratore. Like, oh, I agree with that call. Oh, I agree. Remember, or or like a Mike Carey. Remember when they had Mike Carey for a year, and Mike Carey literally got every single call wrong that they went to him at CBS. They're like, "Oh, former referee, we're doing this new thing now." Where the the former referees, who are all bumbling idiots, by the way, we're gonna bring this guy on to talk to to waste time on the air. And Mike Carey would be like, "You know what? I think they're definitely gonna call that a touchdown." <laughs> the ruling on the field is an incomplete pass every time. <laughs> Every time for Mike Carey. Then they bring this bozo on, Macaulay, and he will not shut up about a call that, one, he's talking about, two, here's the, here's the thing that really bothered me about this before we get to the whole why they kept doing it. The thing that they kept bothering me was, like, he was talking about how he got to hear from league officials and they were <laughs> texting him during the game and stuff about how, how great um, – you know, how the call was absolutely right. And he's, like, throwing out, like, well, I talked to this person. 
Of course you do. You're a former NFL referee. You guys don't have any other friends. You have to keep a tight circle together because who else are you going to talk to? And he's doing this whole, like, I'm hobnobbing with the other zebras about this. And they said the league office is saying that they got the call correct because they got the call correct. And then he won't (laughs) shut up about it. It's just my biggest issue with the entire thing is that they just kept going to it. This is not like Jaguar or not. Excuse me. This is not Carolina Atlanta with 45 cent tickets being sold (laughs) in a rainstorm that ended like nine, seven. There's other stuff to talk about in this game. Just have Collinsworth blow his load again about Lamar Jackson. Just do that. That's fine. Instead, they have to keep going to this guy and whatever producer, whatever director is just like, all right, well, you know, so Terry, the, the call was made in the second quarter. It's, it's, it's middle of the fourth quarter. No, no, no. I need to know. Like, does he have control of his own microphone? Can he step in whatever he wants? Because as somebody who works in a tangential business to that, I can tell you that ain't the case. <laughs> they have an off button for Terry McCauley. They have a director or a producer that can say, yeah. We're done with the shenanigans, Terry. Shut up. You're losing a lot of credibility for not only you, but us. Be quiet. We're done with you. And he kept, they kept going back to him. He made the same points over and over again. That entire team. I mean, look, I like Collinsworth. I'm one of the people that kind of defended him. He's gone off a cliff that his good buddy Al isn't there anymore. To the <laughs> point where my mother, in the middle of the game, texted me, direct quote, STFU Chris. And if you don't know what that means... <laughs> You got a Google machine in your pocket. You can look it up. I can't say it on these on these uh, airwaves because it is a family show. Um, that that entire team in general, I thought, is really really bad. And then just to have that over and over and over again of Terry throwing a hissy fit about a call that was clearly made correctly and that he didn't want to like admit that he got wrong. I thought was crazy to me i hate these ref i i hate referees in general i would never want to be a referee i think most of them are bad at their job but i also can you know concede the fact that their job is very hard and that's fine but like the gene sterators for me were were the absolute worst carl hess is on a mountain on on his own (laughs) level and if you went to the university of maryland you would know I hope I hope that man is living a terrible life and and is never heard from again. I can't stand Carl Hess. But they're all kind of in that same area and wavelength. And Terry McCauley just shot up the S list for me because it was just it was laughably bad. If it was if it was a clear call, if it's a clear call, even against the Ravens and they're doing this thing, I'd be like, you know what? Shouts out to NBC for like kind of do doing the right thing and saying like hey NFL bad job when most of these referees are like uh, the NFL is upstanding and everything they're doing is right especially on the referees uh, th- th- that guy definitely had two feet down when he definitely only has one foot in and, and that type of, stuff, type of stuff or employing bozos like Mike Carey to just get everything wrong <laughs> or the, the yes men like Gene Steratore like if it was something where he was absolutely in the right and was doing that and NBC let him do it great but he made himself look like an idiot over and over and over again. And it was just, I, I was like, I was mind blown and, and, and just enraged. And maybe that's why I'm feeling better about the Ravens. Cause I found something else to <laughs> really shove my anger into during the game. But I, I don't know. It was ridiculous for me. Absolutely ridiculous. 
I have a working theory on on what was going on with Terry. Tim, that he's I, an idiot. Yeah, well, I, that, might, that might be it. I think that's the level one. I think that's the okay. first level. Is his job also just shouldn't exist? But number two, to your point that uh, these analysts almost all agree with what the call on the field is. I think it's either Terry himself or probably more likely maybe his producers at NBC knowing how much hay has been made off of bad officiating and people complaining about it the last three weeks. We had the Chiefs Packers ending. We had the Mahomes thing last week and it's them saying, how can we draw uh, gin up any interest in the waiting moments of this 16 point game? Uh, and it's like, why don't we just talk about this? And Terry just decided to, uh, Go the other way. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I could think because I'm 100% with you that, like, that to me was, like, so clearly not a touchdown. Like, it's clearly not a touchdown. Yeah, it's, uh, you watch the one still frame where he is holding the ball in the end zone, and it's like, that's a touchdown. It's like, hey, great, why don't you play the play where he bobbles the ball two seconds after, or a half a second after this frame, and <laughs> then regathers it out of bounds. When his ass lands out of bounds. (laughs) Yeah, so that was so obviously incomplete to me. Maybe I'm biased, but yeah, that's the part of it I didn't get. But I think on my only assumption can be, and I'm not trying to defend him, is that they saw, like, I could speak from my work that people have been very interested in refereeing lately, and they just, I don't know decided to focus he decided to focus on that but i'm with you that there were other things to talk about in this game like i don't know like is lamar the mvp or or whatever like there were other things you could talk about in the waning moments of this game that weren't just like a fake controversy about the jags maybe cutting it to what a 12 point game if they that touchdown holds up (laughs) like it was just very bizarre well, in my line of work, Jace, all I have to say is VAR, and I can get three hours of phone calls. And, and so I get it. And two, I will never disparage a producer. I can't do that. It's definitely not the producer. No, no it could totally be that of like, hey, you want to stir something up, Terry? And knowing that they've just got him on a string because he just, he'll say anything to get any, any sort of recognition in this job, knowing that the entire broadcast is going up in flames, him included, leading the ship. Just, out, out in front of the Titanic, like Kate Winslet at the end. It's just, I, I, was that the actress in that movie? I don't even know. I, 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 just, so. I was <laughs> furious. It was absolute. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Be furious. Now I'm I'm thinking about Terry McCauley getting drawn as one of Jack's French girls. We don't need any of this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Um, Anything else quickly from this game, guys, before we turn to the NFL? Yeah, I just real quickly. Um, first off, uh, we have our own version of the Tush Bush where our quarterback can't get hurt with Charlie Kohler. Great, love that. Like that. Really, really smart plan. And then we should mention um, Andrew Ironman, a friend of mine from high school, um, who tweeted in at Pod Like a Raven, which you can always do. And if you email us, we'll probably get to it a couple months late. Sorry, Frankie <laughs> Kelly, but yeah, you know, you can still communicate with us, and we will do whatever we can to add these in. He tweeted us uh, today 
uh, as we record this on the 18th. And he brought up an interesting point. So Aaron Schatz, who, again, in the nicest way possible, is a huge football nerd. And we've talked about this a little bit. The DVOA numbers for the Ravens are still historically great. Same thing with the San Francisco 49ers, by the way, which we'll get to in a bit. But the Ravens are hanging around in there with the likes of the 1985 Chicago Bears, the 2007 New England Patriots, the 2012 New England Patriots, the 2010 New A lot of New England Patriots, the 2005 Colts, like, you know, the 1998 Denver Broncos, the 95 Cowboys, the 99 Rams. Great historical teams in terms of this stat. And um, it's a smart stat. I can't explain what it does because I don't know. But I know that it's one of those where – the smart people look at DVOA, and I trust them, and then I'm just kind of, you know, kind of lose interest in looking up what it actually means, so then I move on with my life. But anyway, the overarching theme here, Ravens still historically good in terms of these numbers. And Andrew tweeted us and said, look, I'm as pessimistic as you guys. Thank you for realizing your audience here. But I keep seeing these numbers, and I just shrug. Advanced stats aren't everything, but they say this team is historically good. Instead of playing down to our opponents, maybe every team is giving us their best shot and we keep winning, which I think is just a valid point. Now, I don't think it's something that we need to sit here and debate now for the next 10, 15 minutes, but, you know, I think the Jaguars is another example. I wouldn't call that their best shot because of what they kept doing uh, to themselves. You know, very, very good at shooting foot, maybe, but um, <laughs> I, I do think that it's an interesting point of the Ravens are overcoming some of these teams really, you know, hyping themselves up for a game against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens who are as of right now, the best team in the AFC and one of the best teams in the national football league. So just an interesting point there. And, you know, thank you for getting in touch. I think what might just color our perception of this, because I was also, and thank Andrew for the, the tweet. I was kind of thinking about this independently, just driving to get some lunch today. Uh, and I was thinking about this team compared to my beloved Washington Capitals, who uh, for many years uh, flamed out in the playoffs. And, and I think the comparison I was just thinking is that like what we're dealing with on a week to week basis and why I think we, we hyper-focus so much is that we have like the burden of expectations now. Yeah. Like once Lamar resigned, it was go time for this team. Uh, they are, you know, expected to win, expected to compete. And I would argue expected to reach the AFC championship game. Uh, because I think the fan base is getting antsy. We have won two playoff games in the last 10 years, which a lot of, I think fan bases, you know, the Lions have not won a playoff game like in our lifetimes. Uh, so there's the, like a lot of teams have it worse, but uh, we haven't been past the uh, divisional round in over 10 years now. And I think there's just, it's getting antsy and like similar to how I was thinking, like the Caps pre-2018, like the regular season kind of doesn't matter for the Ravens in many ways. Like it's just all sort of like what happens in January. And so like while the games can be fun and there's fun moments, certainly last week, Tyler Wallace's punt return was great. I think like just that being forced to like wait around to see like what this season means, if anything can kind of in some ways suck the joy from it. Cause I was just thinking like my favorite Raven seasons are always the ones uh, where they usually miss the playoffs the year before and nothing was expected of them and they make the playoffs. So like 2008, 2014 are on the short list of like my five, five of my favorite Raven seasons. And it's just, I think for that reason, is it just like when you're expected to win, it can sometimes be less fun if you uh, don't at least be purposeful in trying to enjoy the weekly victories, which is hard, I think. So uh, I don't know. I was thinking about that. So I just kind of want to expound on it a little bit because it 
meshed well with Andrew's point. But yeah, I I don't know if this is a pledge to myself because I know I'll come here next week and have a lot of complaints. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm not changing. Whatever happens in that Niners game. But, <laughs> but it is, I think, just something to keep in mind that like, yeah, certainly compared to a lot of teams, the Ravens spoil us as fans. As we said, we've already clinched the playoffs for, what, the 11th time in John Harbaugh's 16 seasons. So it's usually good around here, but that can, I think, bring its own sort of added negativity in a weird way. Yeah, I, I'd want to push, I want to push back against that tweet. Me, the optimist, wants to push back uh, on that tweet sent to us because I think if you go back the last month and a half, there are a small handful of plays that could have flipped a lot of these games. And I also think we've gotten a bit fortunate with the QBs that we've faced uh, in a lot of these games and the injuries that have kind of happened either in-game or uh, immediately bef- or just before uh, the Ravens having to face this team. But I can't push back because that's the point. The plays happened and the, the Ravens won the game anyway, or despite the plays, or they made the plays and won anyway, and they're 11-3. and three. So you're right, uh, Andrew. <laughs> you're right. They've won those games with a couple of plays being up in the air. They've faced bad quarterbacks and taken care of business. They faced good quarterbacks and, and played well and, and pulled games out as well. So um, I, it, it's a good a good message for the three of us to hear uh, when, when we want to complain uh, about things not being perfect. And with that, let's turn to the NFL, because a lot of teams are not perfect. And the Ravens are as close as anybody in the AFC. Uh, The AFC North currently, Bengals and Browns, things are looking up. Steelers, things are looking oh so bad, and we enjoy it when we can. The Bengals, I don't have a ton to say. They're pulling games out of uh, a lot of different places uh, with Browning as their quarterback. They're fighting for a wild card spot. We can talk about the Browns for a second here, because uh, Jumpin' Joe Flacco is is just getting himself... He's The Browns fans are enamored with Joe, all right? He's making <laughs> all the plays for them. He's pulling games out, uh, and they're, like, not Brownsing when they could be Brownsing late. Uh, and if you watch that Bears Hail Mary uh, <laughs> attempt there, it was the perfect, oh, the Browns could have Brownsed that. And instead they didn't, and they won another game at home, and they're in a wild card spot. And they believe in Joe Flacco leading them to the postseason and then just with the thought of, let's just see what happens if we get in. Jace, Joe Flacco with an all-time an all-time Flacco game there for the Browns. Yeah, th- this was one for the, the, the Flacco, you know, time capsule, I think. It was, I, I think, in many ways defines sort of his entire career in, like, one game. So he goes 28 for 44, finished with 378 yards, uh, two TDs, including one in the fourth quarter, uh, and just three just absolutely awful interceptions that were basically the reason why the Browns were down 17-7 to entering the fourth quarter. One was a pick six where he kind of slightly threw it. That one was actually the least of his fault, even though he didn't put the ball quite where it needed to be. He threw two other just awful interceptions. Uh, but he blew up in the fourth quarter. He had 212 yards in the fourth, which is the most any players had in a quarter this season. And it's the most a Browns quarterback has had in a quarter since 1991. <laughs> and uh, But like you said, they still could have, should have probably lost this game if Darnell Mooney just takes a Hail Mary in his hands and instead kicks it directly to a Browns deep defensive match. Still not really sure how that even happened, but... Uh, I don't know. It's weird. I We've talked about it a little bit, so we don't have to go on at length, but I, I hate that I don't hate Flacco doing this. I kind of have enjoyed it. I, I mean, I don't, it's like, I don't want the Browns to make the playoffs, but also I'm like, well, I'd rather the Browns make the playoffs than like the Bills. So like, I, I don't know. It's in this weird sort of 
middle ground of I don't know what to do with the Browns kind of thing. I don't think they're going to like make a run, but I, I don't want any of our rivals to have the opportunity to make a run. So yeah, it's very confusing with Flacco, but yeah, it's, it's it has been strange to see how embraced he's been by a Cleveland franchise he tortured. Again, we talked about this. He he has more wins against the Browns than any quarterback other than Ben Roethlisberger in the history of the league. So uh, it's just it's it's very strange. It's very strange times. And yeah, you said like the the Browns seem like a lock for the playoffs now at, at nine wins, and the Bengals I still don't get it really. I didn't see the Jake Browning thing happening. He's been pretty good for them. That's <laughs> uh, certainly, at least on Saturday, made big plays. And yeah, I agree with you. Steelers, I think, are are donezo, at least the way they looked at it. Three straight losses, including to uh, the Pats, the Cardinals, and then they bench Mitch Trubisky now. They are going in the wrong direction. I still won't be surprised if Tomlin like rallies the troops and they get a winning season. But this is about as bleak as I think it's ever been for, for him there. Saturday's game is just kind of kind of sad. Uh, just uh, weird. No, wrong. Well, <laughs> yeah, how dare you? <laughs> I'm not like saying I was upset. I mean, I don't know. It's again, it's Steelers versus Colts. It's like I hate the Steelers more, but I also don't like like the Colts. So who do I want to win this game? Well, neither team. But come on. <laughs> I think I think it's it's interesting where, you know, I think any Steelers fans you know in your life have had frustrations with Tomlin, like we have had with Harbaugh, where. They're like they get anno- you know, they get annoyed because everybody argues back at us, like, oh yeah, but he'd be hired in a second. I'm like, yeah, but that's not the point because it's not working here. And I think that's I think Tomlin's getting to that point, man. I think he is in a, a bad spot. I think there are valid arguments that he could go, which also just means that you know he'll be there another seven years before they <laughs> actually do anything because they're historically do not get rid of guys. Um, and you know, still a good coach, but. It's starting to look like full sale change is needed. And I know Kenny Pickett's hurt injured, but like I think everybody the ship has sailed on that one too. Um I don't have a ton on the Jake Browning thing. You know, he was <laughs> mad at the Vikings, came back to beat him. Great. Let's see if it happens. I could throw to T. Higgins if he makes that play. So, you know, <laughs> like whatever. Um The only other new thing I have on the Joe Flacco stuff, the thing that terrifies me the most, outside of the nightmare scenario where we have to play him in the playoffs or something. Um is that he teaches the Browns franchise how to not screw things up <laughs> and like how to quote unquote be elite when it matters. Um, Cause he's certainly doing that right now. Uh, they don't need to learn that Joe. We like them just the way they are. The little pat on the head, Cleveland Browns and let's keep them right there. Uh, yeah. that That's a little bit worrisome after what he did, but also, also everybody come real close to the mic, you know, turn up your headphones a little bit. It was the bears. <laughs> it was the Bears, and the Bears have had some good wins, and that's great. But like, it's the Bears, guys. So you know, don't don't let the Cleveland. No, no, no. Joe did great. No, he's great. He did awesome. <laughs> he did awesome. Yes, I, I think I think we're okay. I think we're okay in terms of um, the Browns still being the Browns, and I hope it does. I hope it doesn't end for Joe Flacco. I hope it kind of ends for Joe Flacco. Um, but it, it, I'm, I, it's very nice to see what, him doing what he's doing. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me. And the, the sort of long-term good news is that the Browns have uh, seemingly a worse quarterback than 38-year-old Joe Flacco, just locked up just for <laughs> years uh, as their starting quarterback. So that you know, they'll have to regress to that uh, at some point and very likely just at the beginning of next season. 
Um, let's do a little playoff review here. Um, I, we can do the NFC very, very quickly. The San Francisco 49ers are going to win the NFC. <laughs> <laughs> they're the one seed. They're kicking everybody's behind. Uh, they're going to get a bye. They're pretty healthy. Um, Eagles, Lions, Cowboys in some mix after that. And then there's just dregs of 7-7 seven and seven teams. Bucks, Vikings, Rams, Saints, all 7-7. Seven and seven. I don't think any of those teams is really going to make any sort of noise. It's 49ers verse uh, in the NFC uh, championship game, and we'll see who the verse is. Okay, let's go to the AFC now, where your Baltimore Ravens are the current one seed and have a game lead on the Miami Dolphins after the Dolphins drop that uh, stupefying uh, <laughs> primetime loss to the Titans a few games ago. They righted the ship against the Jets, certainly, but still, 10-4, and four, a game behind. The Chiefs, two games behind. And then there's this other mess of teams. There are currently... Seven teams in the AFC that have seven or eight wins. <laughs> I don't know which one of them are going to end up sneaking into the postseason. I've I have been humming in the playoff machine uh, over the last few weeks of figuring out different scenarios. There are too many head-to-heads. There's too many division games remaining um, to really have any sense of how this is going to play out. Um, the Dolphins could still not make the playoffs. There, there's a legitimate scenario that if they lose out to these three very tough teams that they have to play now, it's Cowboys, Ravens, Bills to end the season. If they lose out, they will very, very likely miss the postseason. The Bills, after dominating the Cowboys, boy, was it their Super Bowl, they are still not in the playoffs <laughs> as of today. They are not a playoff team. They are almost certainly going to need that Week 18 game against the Dolphins to get a playoff spot. It's very weird, it's very wild, and just above this fray of boxers just throwing hands, the Ravens sit up at the top trying to control their own destiny. Um, I don't have a lot of games to go through, but there is one, and it's this Bills-Cowboys game, and I'm just going to hit you guys with the classic hot take segment. Did this game prove more about the Bills' upside, or did we just learn more about the Cowboys' issues uh, against good teams? I'll go quickly here, Jace. I think it's the Cowboys. I think the um, – I, look, you have to take a side on this. I think it showed a lot about both teams. I think one of the negative factors for the Bills in this argument is that, yes, this was their Super Bowl. Um, this was a statement-statement game. Can they keep coming up for these games like this? Uh, we'll have to see. Maybe that that's the team you don't want to play, right? Because they're the hot team. They're the hot hand. You want to see them out. I certainly don't want to see them in the playoffs, um, you know. But I think it shows more about the Cowboys who, away from the comfy confines of Arlington, Texas, have not beaten anybody. They have I, – I don't have it in front of me exactly, but the, the road opponents that they've faced and beaten this year, it's, it's a horrendous – list of people so they here's their away record they beat the Giants 40 to nothing to open the year then they lost to the Cardinals then they got smacked by the Niners and they beat the Chargers goodbye Brandon Staley see ya that's how I'm gonna say on that lost to the Eagles beat the Panthers lost the Bills so so far their away wins Panthers Chargers Giants that's who they haven't beaten or beaten when they're not in the comfy confines of Jerry World. So I think it just shows that 
as soon as everybody got their chance to talk Cowboys, as soon as the entire week was Cowboys, 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 this is different. Look what they just did to Philly, yada, yada, yada. I think they got smacked back down to earth and back where they should be, a comfortable five seed <laughs> with a middling quarterback and a defense who can't stop the run. So if, if they're in a tight game, if they're in a game where they can't just let Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons run wild at the quarterback because they got to pass it, the opponent has to pass it 45 times, they're in trouble. And Mike McCarthy is still their coach. Um, so, yeah, I think it said a lot more about the Cowboys of in a three-hour span what people thought of them as, like, the Niners challenger to what people think of them now of, like, oh, no, nah, it's just the Cowboys. I feel like I'm actually going to disagree with you here, Tim, and that I do think it actually, this game said more about the Bills upside insofar as, like, with the Cowboys' issues, like, I think they fall in the same kind of problem we were just talking about a little bit with the Ravens, where it's like, I'm just not going to believe in the Cowboys until they, like, play in the NFC Championship game any time in the last 30 years, I feel like. Like, I feel like I don't feel that different. I'm like... Ah, real surprise, they went on the road and got their teeth kicked in. Like, it feels like this kind of, just kind of, I, and I do think this Cowboys team is actually better than a lot of the ones we've seen in the past, but I, I think I just am more afraid of the Bills and see the potential that it doesn't make sense where the Bills are where they are. They Like, they shouldn't be an 8-6 and six team. The Bills are extremely talented. They were, like, definitely one of the, you know, what, th- probably three preseason favorites to win the AFC and they've just had a real struggle of a year. And, but to to do what they did on Sunday, and I think the way they did it too is what I think makes them scary. Because Allen's had a fantastic year, and I think in a different universe where the Bills aren't eight and six, you know, he, he does certainly have a crippling turnover in the worst times it seems in some of these big games. That's certainly part of why they are where they are at eight and six. But he leads the NFL in touchdowns by a decent amount. And uh, he, he's he been pretty good, I think. And I just, I, you see all these teams with like, we just talked about like Jake, like Jake Browning and Joe Flacco might be like the five and six seed. And then like an MVP finalist might be the seventh seed. I, I definitely don't want the, uh, to see the Bills in January. So I prefer some of these other teams win. I just think there's such a head and shoulders above the other teams. And I think what, scared me with their performance on Sunday and why I think this game said more about their potential is the running game. I believe it was on NBC. They said it was the most yards they've ever rushed for uh, since McDermott became the coach. Um, Pretty sure that's a stat that they showed uh, at some point in like football night in America or something. And, And I mean, James Cook, 179 yards, uh ty johnson had 54 allen himself had 24 they had 266 as a team and they only needed allen to throw it 15 times uh and he only hit seven completions so that's pretty a atypical of them but if they have this running game in addition to what allen can provide them i think they could be scary so that's i think that's the bigger takeaway for me and i think that's just speaks to how more astounding their season is that they 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 crush the, the cowboys uh 31 to 10 and they're somehow still the nine seed currently that's it's just such a deeply strange <laughs> season that for for that to be the case but um yeah i think that was certainly the game of the day sunday or at least the most important game and uh yeah i have concerns i have concerns about seeing the bills uh in a a two seven matchup if somehow we we fumble the bag against the dolphins and end up with a, the two seed Gosh, I just gotta, I just gotta chill. Uh, <laughs> anything else uh, from the NFL before we turn to the Ravens' next opponent here? Oh, 
God. Talk right, about game I don't want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, Raven. Ravens at 49ers. Christmas night. Ravens five and a half point dogs at the 49ers. It's a big number uh, for Lamar Jackson, but we have all been watching the 49ers uh, week in, week out, so the line does kind of make sense. I will, I'm going to say a couple things, um, and it's good that our podcast isn't listened by millions of people worldwide because I think I might get some negative attention, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> First of all, the, the less contentious uh, thing to go over here, this game may legitimate be legitimately be like the MVP showcase of, of which quarterback takes it. Uh, Brock Purdy is currently the odds-on favorite to win the MVP, and it's not really close. He's in minus, I think he's minus 200 to win MVP. Lamar Jackson is now second uh, after we had a, a Dak Prescott Cowboys performance getting blown out by a good team. Lamar Jackson is second. There is some distance between these two MVP candidates, but if Purdy stinks against a good Ravens defense at home, and Lamar puts on, you know, the, the crazy... 300 yards passing, 100 yards rushing, and four total touchdowns in primetime at San Francisco. That gap is at least going to be significantly cut down uh, for Lamar Jackson having a chance to win MVP number two, which would be insane. Um, and really didn't even seem possible, you know, five or six weeks ago. But if that does happen, it's going to be a, a race to, to the finish for who's going to win MVP. However... My not-so-modest proposal here is, <clears throat> let me take a breath, I don't think it should ever come to that. I don't think Lamar Jackson should have uh, an opportunity to do this. And here is my proposal. If the Miami Dolphins lose to the Cowboys this weekend, and that game will happen before the 49ers game, which is Monday night, if the Dolphins lose, Lamar Jackson should not be playing in this Ravens 49ers football game. His tackles left and right, have stunk, especially against good pass rushers. One of them is playing on one leg and is in concussion protocol, likely will not play anyway. His two best running backs, yeah, that's right, his two best running backs are out. His best receiver in Mark Andrews is out. I don't care what the Ravens have to say. They can make up an illness. They could just give him an illness, which happens uh, you know, a few times <laughs> they, a year they, anyway. they don't need to give him one. <laughs> Some bad shrimp or something. They could say he has back spasms, whatever whatever it has to be. I think there is very little to gain by him playing in this game. I think winning is going to be very, very, very difficult, and it will not impact the playoffs nearly as much as an AFC game would. I am terrified of him getting demolished by the 49ers front. I say sit him, let him get healthy, let him then roast that tissue-thin Dolphins defense at home the following week. With a loss to the 49ers, the Ravens would still be a game up on the Dolphins. Again, if they lose that game Sunday, they would still be a game up on the Dolphins. They would still be a, guaranteed to be at least a game up on the Chiefs with two games to play. Finally, Lamar Jackson is 19-1 as a starting quarterback against the NFC. Why is that? Because the teams do not play him very often. <laughs> Never twice a year, and they are not used to the speed and elusiveness 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 did I get that right yeah, of his game <laughs> if the Ravens make it to the Super Bowl it is very likely going to be against these same 49ers why give him a free why give them a free game to see him why let them play him twice 
let that first experience, when he roasts every NFC team, let the first time be in the Super Bowl. I'm very, very afraid of Lamar Jackson getting hit repeatedly in this game. Do not play him in this football game. I don't care. I don't care. Don't play him. Enjoy the week. Enjoy Christmas. Get your get your butts handed to you and say, eh, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> we're on we're on to the Dolphins. We're on to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, look, I love the take. I love takes. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in a takes business. Takes are good. Um, sitting on the couch, that all sounds great, but we all know that that just that cannot happen, unfortunately. Um, but I love this idea. Like, in theory, and I think the best part of it is that last part, where you almost, the way you try and sell it to the players is, we'll, we'll, see, him, we'll see him in February. Don't worry about that. But what it would do for Lamar being furious that he was getting benched or eating bad shrimp. What it would do for the <laughs> locker room of like, wow, you really don't think we can compete with these guys? I get Locker it. room doesn't have to know, Tim. Nobody has to know okay. outside of Harbaugh, Munkin, Lamar Jackson, Steve Bishotti. And Pod yeah, like a Raven. That's I, it. <laughs> Lamar Jackson is one of those guys that's not going to do that either. I mean, none of these guys in the NFL. Like, I, I don't like being the voice of reason on this show, damn it. It's weird and I, not fun. But... um. I like the creativity of it, and I think that there is more than no valid argument for it. Um, But, yeah. I will also say this on the flip side. We will all be flipping out on Christmas night if we see that Lamar Jackson have been ruled out for, like, an illness. We'll be losing our minds. And if he does play, Antonio, that's what they make Christmas cocktails for. (laughs) Just be completely liquored up by this point, and you'll be completely fine. It'll be... Good, bad, or otherwise, and you won't remember any of it. That would, and then you can watch the highlights the next day to recap it when we do it on Pod Like a Raven. It's it's such a this game's such a double edged sword because you know there there is the path where they beat the 49ers, and you take that confidence into the postseason where you say we can literally beat every team in the league, including clearly the best team in the league who has not won a game by less than double digits all season. They do have three losses. Teams have beaten them. Uh, but certainly since their bye week, they've been just rolling again and crushing all comers. But if you beat them, you have that confidence. But then conversely, if they, you know, kick your butt, you say, uh-oh, we're not as good as the best team in the league. <laughs> and that's a that, that's not exactly what you want going in the playoffs. So I, I support the take, Antonio. I am also with Tim. It'll never happen. But, uh I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it as a thought exercise because I agree with the premise entering this game that while it would be good to win this game and you will basically seal up the one seed theoretically if you win this, um, you're likely not going to because it's just a tough spot at the best team in the league on Christmas night. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I think as far as the Ravens go, we've kind of talked about it when we were just a little bit on and off, but you beat the Dolphins, that's the battle for the one seed at present, New Year's Eve. So, yeah, in a lot of ways, this is a don't get hurt and try your best and, you know, if you lose, whatever game. It'd be great if you win. <laughs> I a don't go, ex- A go-get-em sport game. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love for them to win. I don't expect it. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it's, it's a weird game to preview in that sense because, yeah, on paper, this is Super Bowl preview, battle of the MVPs, like you said, but it, it, it just feels like to have two teams with the exact same record, the number one seeds in each conference. It, to me, maybe this is just 
my pessimism and being a Ravens fan kicking in. It feels like the Niners are in a different league than than the Ravens and really the whole rest of the NFL. So yeah, I, I'm not very optimistic about this game. All right, let's uh, let's pretend that Lamar Jackson's going to start uh, Ravens <laughs> offense against 49ers defense. They will need to go score for score. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see the Ravens defense kind of you know hanging up the the goose egg against the 49ers offense. So starting with the Ravens offense. Where can they take advantage against this 49ers defense? They're good. They're not perfect. Where can the Ravens find spots to get big plays, to get scores, and and, and kind of keep the game close? I think it's a lot of the run game. I honestly do. I think it's neutralizing pass rushers, especially when you have a weaker, um, you know, weaker pass protection, especially on the edge, and the likes of Bosa and Young won't be able to pin their ears back completely. It's really hard to play against a Fred Warner type in, in, in pass coverage as well. Like he's going to blanket Isaiah likely you would think, um, even though likely is coming off a really good performance. I don't want Lamar sitting back there playing hero ball against this, this defense that is swarming. Um, I think he's capable of it. I certainly do. I think he's capable of doing that against anybody in the league, but I just don't think for all the reasons previously mentioned that he should be. Um, I think, I think this is a classic muck it up, control the clock type of game. Get, keep the ball out of Purdy's hands. That's so weird to say. Keep the ball out of <laughs> the offense's hands with everybody, and then Brock Purdy's the one who touches it the most. Um, and set the expectations that you can compete with these guys by being as physical as them in the run game. A lot of Gus Edwards, first down and 10, four yards up the middle, four yards up the middle. It's third and two. You do something there. I, I really do think that's the, the way – to take a little bit of the sting out of this team. This team walks out of the tunnel with a giant jukebox <laughs> and and Trent Williams and Debo saying like we're the best. We know like they they've got all the swagger and they've deserved it. Good for them. Smack them in the mouth a little bit with the run game and nobody's challenged them. You know, they've they've lost 3 games with no Debo, no Trent Williams. It's been talked about. Since then fully healthy, nobody has given them a real game, at least that I can remember. No, they've just been hammering opponents. Yeah. But I, but you I, have the capability to, at least at the start here, send a clear message that, hey, we can we can we can physical you too. You know, you're not you're not the big bad Niners to the big bad Baltimore Ravens in a way. I think it's a good point, Tim, because yeah, on paper the Niners the numbers jump out. They're third best in the league about defensive rush yards. But it got me thinking what you were while you were talking, it got that got me to thinking like it's mainly because I think Teams are just always down against the Niners, so like they don't. It's, it's also even too face sorry not, to, not to cut you off, but it's like the Patriots thing, where the Ravens were always so good against those Patriots teams, even when the Ravens were bad, because they weren't scared of them. And the the Niners have this quality of like, you go down down ten points because you're already terrified of them. I don't think the Ravens are like that, and I think they they know that they can compete. Yeah, and I a lot of it obviously will hinge on Lamar too if he plays well. They theoretically have a chance the Niners secondary on paper is the weak part of their defense they you know they lose Hufanga for the season to a uh, torn ACL and they're only 15th only quote-unquote 15th against the pass but obviously uh their defensive front mitigates that and Lamar just cannot I think do the hold the ball all day thing he sometimes can do and we talked about sometimes it works out but I, I think you know, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker are good players for for uh, the Jaguars, but I don't think they're as good as Bosa and, and that whole crew. So 
Yeah, it's it, it's a tall order. I, I agree with Tim though. It's almost more about mentality than any like X's and O's thing. Because yeah, there there is a path to just like fall behind and then you're exactly in the the game plan the Niners want you in if you're chucking it all the time and all that stuff so and that's when you get Lamar sick and take him out of that game immediately <laughs> yeah Lamar Lamar had a uh, too much good Christmas dinner uh at 7 p.m and suddenly he's out at halftime <laughs> it does almost feel like another example of if the Ravens win the toss they might ask for the ball first they might say mm-hmm. we want the ball first we need to score first and turn this into a game where we can run it uh, over and over and over again, rather than just be down seven nothing to start. <laughs> Let's look defensively for the Ravens. It is by, by far their biggest challenge of the season. How can the players, guys, match up with all the offensive talent, and maybe more importantly, how can McDo- uh, Mike McDonald match the creativity of scheme and, and try to keep this 49ers defense just slightly more down than every other team has done over the last month and a half. Yeah, you're not you're not going to stop them, okay? But it, this is going to be a game where irrational fans like myself are going to be annoyed at the defense, but the defense is not going to be able to stop them. Your biggest best players have to step up in these moments. Justin Matabike has to be a freak. Kyle Hamilton, freak. Marlon Humphrey, freak. Roquan Smith, freak. This is why a lot of you get paid the big bucks and, and two of you are going to make a shed load of money when your contracts come up. These are the games for that. You have to step up and and mitigate it. If Debo has a great game, Ayuk can't. If Ayuk has a great game, George Kittle can't. If if Juwan Jennings is the dude that keeps giving over the middle, fine. Let 15 beat you and, and neutralize the other guys to uh, to the best of your ability. And I think that... Look, we all love Mike McDonald. I love him. I, I think he's been fantastic. We've done the whole joke about, you know, lock him in the, the facility. Just tell him he's coaching, waiting. Um, when, when John Harbaugh, it, you know, moves on, what have you. This is a nuts-on-the-table game for him. Like, this is the – the next two are the offensive geniuses that everybody loves and puts into the pantheon of incredible offensive minds. Show that you're just as good on the defensive end. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm not that smart. But but there has to be some sort of wrinkle that we get into like the third quarter. And I assume this will be because it's a Monday. I guess this is like a Monday night football game, even though there are three games that day. So it'll be Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. And it'll be Troy Aikman, like middle of the third quarter, being like, look at what they're doing to use this guy here. And uh, that's another great job by McDonald. I think I think I believe in him. I really do. And guess what? You muck this game up and you keep it close. You know who really stinks in tight games down the stretch is Kyle Shanahan. This is why the Atlanta Falcons against against the New England Patriots all those years back. The multiple times that it hasn't been injuries, it's been the Niners screwing things up because they're so used to coming out with the chain and the big boom box and being up 21 in the fourth quarter and Brock Purdy being oh, the legendary quarterback Brock Joe Montana Purdy. You make this a seven-point game. Hell, you even have a three-point lead in the fourth quarter. What's Kyle Shanahan? Like, look, Kyle Shanahan's a great coach. He's going to figure it out. But that is the weak point there, right? That is the, the the knock on him all of the time. The knock on this team is health. And the knock on Shanahan is when the going gets tough, is he the tough that gets going? And sometimes it's been an issue with him. Um, So I think I, I, 
I'm not confident, but I think that there's something to be said for that matchup. That being said, the one person I didn't mention in the little the weapons thing, uh, Christian McCaffrey's going to have 400 yards rushing. Um, that that is a thing that like you know, I said it looked soft. I looked at the numbers against the Jaguars, and it really wasn't. It was pretty stout. I think this is one where it don't let it get to the point where they can ice the game with CMC. Like mid third quarter, they just go on like a 12 to 13 minute drive because it's seven yards a clip from Christian McCaffrey. Um, that that guy is the guy that I don't think you're going to neutralize him. And if he beats you, fine. I'll put it this way. If he beats you, fine. Don't let him bury you because I, I think he could certainly do that on Monday night. He, he's the guy that concerns me the most. Just And Trent Williams. Shout out offensive lineman Trent Williams. <laughs> he, he's the guy that cons- McCaffrey concerns me the most just because what we've been talking about with, with, with the, the run defense and, and where it is. Um, I know, Tim, we had mentioned what you were talking about. The, the Niners in close games, you know, they uh, they have lost two of the three one-score – or the only two one-score games they've played – or two of three, I think, one-score games they've played this year. Uh, the counterpoint is they're almost never in one-score games because they're up yeah. so much. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of with you guys. I'm not really sure you'd limit it. I mean, it's in some ways, it's going to be similar, uh, a, a, a classic bed but don't break uh, Ravens edition because they're certainly going to move the, move the ball, I would think. I, I think they just have too many weapons. And... As much as I don't understand really why Brock Purdy is as good as he is, he is undeniably like really good, and uh, uh, his numbers are fantastic. And so it's it's hard to like expect him to make mistakes or anything like that. I think they're just too well rounded, and I think playing at home on Christmas night, Monday night football, like you said, it is a Buck and Aikman game. It just feels like a a tough spot for this defense, but. Like you said, Tim, there it's you know McDaniel uh, with the Dolphins is a Shanahan disciple. You are seeing this defense twice in a row, or this offense, excuse me, twice in a row, basically. So whatever you can glean, I guess, from this game and use point. it for the next week, maybe that's that's a plus too, I guess. <laughs> if you're not gonna win the game, which spoiler alert, I do not think we will. <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna let you guys cover any kind of final intangibles when, when we kind of cycle back around here. I'm going to dive into my pick. I was I was dying to pick Ravens plus five and a half with the expectation that it's maybe a two-score game late and there's opportunities for the late cover. Uh, there's opportunities where it is just the Ravens playing to their opponent, which they do week in, week out, and it ends up being a field goal uh, one way or the other. San Francisco, there's two really really good defenses in the National Football League. It's the Browns and it's the Ravens in some order, one and two, with most stats. Guess who the 49ers lost to when they went up against that Browns defense and they really struggled. And then I looked at the box score and I remembered that that was the game that the Browns had, or that the 49ers had like 18 injured players uh, and they couldn't really um, move the ball and all those guys are healthy. I looked at, just out of curiosity, I looked at their other loss their only home loss this year was to the Cincinnati Bengals when the Bengals were healthy and there's a Stephen A. Smith quote Brock Purdy is a huge problem for the 49ers boy don't you love uh day after analysis they went on to not lose again and score 40 points a game seemingly with the same Brock Purdy who's now the MVP front runner so I can't do it I can't do it with all these things combined I'm taking the 49ers minus five and a half 
and I hate it. Um, I think the Ravens give them a tight three quarters, and then I think maybe in the fourth it starts to get extended out a little bit. Maybe there's a bad turnover or something like that. Um, but maybe there's the blueprint of when this game happens again and it's in a neutral field, do the Ravens know what they have to do? Um, I'll run through my, my other picks as well here um, before we go back to the, the co-hosts. And also, Lamar Jackson won't be playing, so I'm, I'm protecting myself uh, with that by taking 49ers minus 5.5 there. Um, I got the Ravens pick right last week uh, and still had a losing week, which is just how it's been going for me this season, 19 and 26 on the season. But we, we press forwards. Um, outside of the 49ers, I'm taking the Lions, minus three at the Vikings. Nick Mullins does not inspire confidence at any point. I've never seen a starting quarterback take so many deep breaths before, uh, <laughs> just like in the in the huddle. He looks visibly terrified on every play. Um, the Lions seem to have figured some things out uh, offensively and defensively. They get to play in a dome. It's minus three. Lions still fighting for, for a, one of these top seeds. Um, and I think that line is a gift. I, I think you're getting some free points there. So Lions minus three. And then a game I wouldn't normally take. It's a big a big spread. But Bills minus ten and a half against the Chargers. If there's a team that's not getting the head coach fired bump, it's the Chargers. Uh, I think the Bills, they're not going to look ahead. They know exactly. They have to win out pretty much. Um so they have to take every game, you know, one game at a time. And it's Josh Allen against Easton Stick. <laughs> um, they were bad before him. They're worse after. The defense has been terrible all year. I think the Bills hang 30. Uh, and I think it's a 30-10 to 10 game. You're, you got 10 extra points to play with there. I actually think 10.5 is, is too small of a line there. So Bills minus 10.5 uh, against the Chargers. Man, yeah, I actually really like that. I was thinking of that as like a a tease piece but ten and a half is you made all the right points there but I'm gonna go a little bit different I'm gonna give some people give the people some different picks um continue to do pretty well on the year uh even Steven last week with only two picks lost the Jags and then win did win the tease that I had um put together which was Chiefs Rams and somebody else that I can't remember off the top of my head now um but this week I'm gonna go back to three picks I was thinking about doing the Bengals Minus two and a half away to Mason Rudolph and the Steelers. The Bengals are just a better team. The Steelers seem to be in a rut. But even with all of the bad stuff we said about Tomlin and just how mediocre or bad, I should say, this Pittsburgh team is, Tomlin as a home dog scares the hell out of me. So I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm going to pick the Colts minus one and a half away to the Falcons. The Colts are in a three-team race for the AFC South right now. And the Falcons are dead. They're dead, dead, dead. Dead as a doornail. Dead. Never want to see him again. Dead. The only thing that would scare me about this game is if Taylor Heineke plays. He's not. They're giving it to Desmond Ritter again for some reason. Makes no sense. Could have had Lamar Jackson. Could have, could have easily had Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I've heard that too many times on the various podcasts today. That's annoying. Um, and then I'm going to... I'm, I'm a rat with the cheese again here. Another, another AFC South team that needs a win. It's a bounce-back subbot for them. The Jaguars are plus one-and-a-half-point favorites, or plus one-and-a-half-point underdogs, excuse me, away to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So barely an away game. It's in Florida as well. The Jags have to have this game because, again, there's a, it's a three-team race for the AFC South, not including the Tennessee Titans right now. 
So I just think you take the points. It's a close game. I think the Jags are a better football team. The Bucks are in a really good spot coming off a really impressive win against the Green Bay Packers. When Baker Mayfield had a perfect passer rating in Lambeau Field, spoiler alert, not happening two weeks in a row for good old Baker Mayfield. It's just not. Give me the Jaguars, a pissed-off Jaguars team, knowing that they can't make the same mistakes. I don't think they're an elite NFL uh, AFC team, but I certainly think they're better than Tampa. That line doesn't make sense to me, which means the Tampa will beat them by 21. <laughs> and then for the big game, for the Ravens game, five and a half is disrespect. It just is. It is disrespectful for the Baltimore Ravens to be five and a half point underdogs. They sh- it should be four, three and a half, something like that. The, 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 the bad Eagles team was getting three and a half at other, at other teams, and we're getting five and a half to Brock Purdy. And I'm taking the 49ers minus five <laughs> and a half. Um, I just can't. I can't. Good. I probably won't be betting this game. I rarely bet Ravens games as it is. Who knows? The eggnog might be flowing. I've never actually had eggnog. Uh, I was going to say, the eggnog might be flowing. Uh, might get a little frisky on there. Do a little same-game parlay with all the Raven stuff. Who knows? But for the purpose of this podcast, 49ers minus 5.5. And, and praying, praying for a miracle on 34th Street. Uh, I am with you guys in the sense that... At least what you said, Antonio, and you alluded to, Tim. Uh, I was, you know, I went into this saying the Ravens are going to lose this game for sure. I've been saying it all year, in fact, uh, since the schedule came out. Uh, And then yet when the line comes out, I say, oh, my God, five and a half. I have to take the Ravens. But I, I just can't do it either. I have to take the 49ers here. I think it's just too tough a spot. I think they're too good a team. And, uh. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe the Ravens. The worst would be if they lose this game by like three points, because then then everyone's a loser. We lose the game in real life. We lose it in the in the picks. But um, yeah, I, I think still you just have to ride with the 49ers the way they've been playing. And, and I guess you could argue from the other side, the Niners have been beating every team by like 14 points. So being less than a touchdown at home is sort of weirdly respect for the Ravens in some ways. I guess you could argue at least, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're just too good. So 49ers for me. I went uh, 2-0 last week. I got the Ravens pick. And I also I did ride with the 49ers. Uh, Eagles are pending. Uh, my other two picks for this week is I am taking the Dallas Cowboys, who just laid an egg on the road, uh, plus one and a half to go on the road and at least answer the bell. If you have any pride, Dallas Cowboys, you, ha- you cannot get blown out in this game. <laughs> Uh, that would be a, a tough look, uh, you know, for Big D if that happens. So I, I just think like they have to, I don't, not that they have to, but I think they are still a good team in there. I think it was a weird confluence of events. The weather should certainly be a lot better than it was in Buffalo uh, on Sunday with whatever miserable rain I'm sure they got that we also got here on the East Coast. Um So I'm going with the Cowboys. And then uh, just because I think they're awful, I'm just picking against the Patriots. Uh, They are traveling to Denver to play Broncos team that has kind of played their way out of it. Their defense kind of has unraveled a little bit in the last, uh, you know, several days, certainly, I guess, losing on Saturday um, when against the Lions, they laid an egg anyway. But the Patriots have, you know, Denver's never the easiest place to play if the team's good at all. And to get them as favored less than a touchdown against a Pats team that I think 
to believe to be actively tanking at this point. <laughs> uh, or maybe not actively. They're just that bad, I think. I, I think their Bailey Zappi uh, quarterback is going to cause them less problems than Jared Goff in the Dome uh, out in Denver. So, yeah, I'm going with the Broncos minus six as my other pick uh, for this week. Okay, that's going to do it for us. Um, let's see. Boy, let's see what happens. Uh, the biggest profile game uh, of the week, of the weekend, certainly. Um, I, I, I don't know what to say. Let's just get out, let's get out of that game healthy. I, I tend to end these shows saying, oh, let's see. Hopefully we're talking about a win next week. I don't know. Let's hopefully, uh, let's hope that we're uh, healthy uh, at the end of next week. But um, also, happy holidays. Merry Christmas if you guys celebrate that, enjoying that that day with, with a nice Ravens game to, to, to close the night. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.